Holy crap, hoodie. That was uh, for a stage finish where we almost fell asleep. That turned out to be a little more exciting than we expected. Yeah, it was like mon dieu uh, and exponential on steroids there. <laughs> I mean, you had your man out there and uh, I mean, the one guy in the breakaway all day was literally like, hey, someone said to me, hey, hoodie, wake me up when it's 500 meters to go. <laughs> I'm Kaylee Fretz, senior editor here at Vela News. Uh, across the table from me is Andrew Hood, more senior editor at Vela News. Senior citizen editor. <laughs> we are, we're doing another quick special edition podcast just for well well the story of the day just for the fact that peter sagan has been disqualified following a jury decision uh which was that his maneuver in the finale against mark cavendish which caused cavendish to crash which then caused john degenkolb and ben swift to crash that that maneuver was a serious case in disqualifying Sagan, the race jury cited a stipulation of the UCI rulebook that allows them to extend the normal penalty, which is generally 200 Swiss francs and maybe some relegation, loss of a couple green jersey points, to a full disqualification. Uh, the entire cycling world has been in uproar since then, and that is largely because... As we've taken a look at the video, both a, a shot from above, from the helicopter, and a shot from the finish line, from in front of the riders, it's become increasingly clear, we think, that this may not have been entirely intentional, it may not have been overly aggressive, and the standard that must be met in order to disqualify a rider is, is very aggressive riding so now we have a polemica we have a controversy we have potentially peter sagan doing nothing more than getting bumped into and trying to keep his balance and getting thrown out of the tour de france that's a very good summation i think that's exactly kind of what happened we have uh, thanks to tv replays we actually can see and dissect every move frame by frame now. It's almost like the Zabruder film, <laughs> you know, from the Kennedy years, but really in real time. Um, you know, back in the day, even when the jury had to do a review, they would, you know, back in back when you'd see the, the replays in the NFL, even just a few years ago, they'd mm-hmm. hunch over uh, a screen and they'd look at it. It might take a little while for the for the video to come through, but now it's instantaneous. Everyone has it on their, on their phones. Everyone has it online and social media. Mm-hmm. And it was very quick, and, and Kaylee, uh, you were one of the first ones to say, well, hold on a second, you know, what's really going on here? Because uh, initially it looked like, man, it looked like, boom, it was like, you saw the elbow go out, you saw Cav go down, and everyone thought, dude, you're out of here. Yeah, you put two and two together, you know, like you said, the elbow out, the crash, it seemed really clear at first that Peter Sagan had put an elbow into, into Mark Cavendish, had caused that crash, really bad crash, very high-speed crash. Uh, just a little bit of, of sort of news update here. It sounds like Mark Cavendish is going to be out of the race with a broken shoulder blade, I believe it was. It was not, mm. a, it was not a collarbone, as l- last we heard. It was a shoulder blade. Uh, you know, obviously, Peter Sagan's out of the race, so we have two top sprinters out of the race due to this maneuver. However, like we said, when we went back and watched this video... And this is still somewhat unclear. Uh, The video itself is not entirely definitive. It does appear that this may have been essentially a a racing accident, a racing incident. Uh, You know, sprints are always a little bit crazy. There's always bumping. There's always barging. 
I think at the end of the day, what what most of us are the conclusion that most of us are coming to is that this was was little more than that. That this, this was not an intentional elbow to Cavendish's face because. It looks on the video like Peter Sagan's elbow never actually touched Mark Cavendish. Yeah, indeed. It looked like almost that uh, Cavendish rode into Sagan from behind. And uh, it's been interesting. You know, we've been able to do some kind of uh, real-time video forensics on this uh, on this whole episode. It's almost like a CSI Tour de France here. You know? <laughs> and we've been able to really... As we sit here with our red wine doing CSI Tour de France. Through CSI uh, Tour de France. CSI Vitel. <laughs> Such fine water. Oh, um, nope. But it's been able to, you know, you, but then when you, when you pull back, it's all about, you know, was... Sagan's elbow in Cap's face, but you pull it back frame by frame, you pull it back a few more frames, and you're saying, you can really extrapolate this and say, well, hold on a second. You know, why was Cav there? Why was Sagan there? And you could say, well, it's Damar's fault because he was pulling way right. I mean, that's the dynamics. It's such a fluid dynamics of the race. I mean, when you look at it in a Labrador contact, real hard to say that Peter Sagan was trying to deliberately take out Mark Cavendish. So I think our opinions are pretty clear here, but let's just be... Let's be absolutely clear. Uh, hoodie, at this point in time, it's about midnight on Tuesday. Uh, with all of the information that we have at this point, do you think that Peter Sagan should be disqualified from the Tour de France? I would say uh, you know, almost an absolute. There's no absolutes in this world, but I'd say a very near absolute no. I think a relegation's in due. Take away some green points, uh, jersey points. But to kick Sagan, not to say even even in the broader view of the fact that he is the most uh, media-friendly uh, rider in the entire peloton, to kick him out, I say absolutely not. And I agree. Uh, disqualification was absolutely, I think, unjustified. I think particularly due to the fact that we are having this debate. And this is essentially the story that I just wrote for VeloNews.com, which you can go check out right now. My major, my major contention here is that, you know, just like uh, in the American judicial system, we have something called reasonable doubt, and if there is reasonable doubt that you are guilty, then you are not guilty. And I think that the, the same should apply in something like this, where you know there is reasonable doubt that Peter Sagan did not do this on purpose. I think there's more than reasonable doubt. I think that it's quite, it's becoming quite clear that Peter Sagan didn't do this on purpose. Uh, And I think that that means that, yes, okay, maybe a a relegation is justified. He definitely changed lines. Uh, We've seen riders relegated for similar maneuvers before. But he actually did not change his line at the moment of the the Cavendish uh, incident. True. He was slowly moving to the right. Nonetheless, we'll sort of, we'll give the jury that. Maybe you could relegate him. Because that was the first, that was actually the first uh, commandment that came down from the jury was that he would be relegated, lose some green jersey points, actually a significant number of green jersey points. Uh, I don't think that the elbow, which was quite clearly what the jury was basing its decision off of, is a legitimate reason to disqualify Peter Sagan because I honestly don't think the elbow had anything to do with the crash. That video that we've watched now many, many, many times and is available all over the internet, including in the story that I just wrote, uh, it's pretty clear that the elbow doesn't even really touch Mark Cavendish. It's interesting that um, how... And how and why the UCA jury made and came to this decision um, after it was quite a scene there, Kelly, wasn't it? When uh, <laughs> everyone's kind of waiting, what's the you know? Because every day the uh, jury report comes out, and usually on a printed piece of paper, it usually comes out in a half an hour, forty-five minutes out of the stage. 
the word had already gone out via internet on the TV that that uh, Sagan had been relegated. But then suddenly there was a little buzz and everyone's going, oh, what's going on here? And then here comes uh, the president of, uh, of the uh, UCI jury, uh, Philippe uh, Marianne, comes really marching into the press room with purpose. And suddenly <laughs> the whole press room uh, erupts and there's, it's, just like, up. it's just like a flood of, of people going into the corner. And, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those old school drama moments. I was kind of like, oh, this is, this is how it used to be. This was good. For those wondering what that looked like, uh, imagine we were a giant room full of 12-year-old girls and Philippe was Justin Bieber. Uh, walked in. <laughs> <laughs> walked in from the back and as we... After as, stage four, uh, that's kind of a reach. <laughs> Maybe stage 18. Walked in from the back and as we all slowly, uh, as a wave, noticed who had just walked in the room, everyone stood up. Uh, made a little bit of a, of a gasp and ran over. You should have seen some of the camera guys booking it over. Those guys, obviously, they need to, to be in the front row to get what they need. Um, but anyway, they, Philippe provided that statement to us, kind of explained what they had been doing, explained that they had made the decision due to the, quote, serious nature of the uh, of the incident. There was, there was some interesting comments that he said afterward when he spoke to journalists speaking in Flemish. Uh, he is Belgian. Spoke to our colleague there at Sporza, which was later uh, translated to us uh, from our uh, Belgian colleague. So uh, my Flemish is not 100%. It's not even actually 1%. But uh, so I'm, we're counting on our, our friend's uh, ability to speak, uh, you know, to translate that for us. But the gist that I took away from that conversation uh, with, the, with the Belgian media afterward was that in a large part they were trying to set an example um, – not particularly with with Sagan, but just with the sprints in general. They had they had had a meeting before the Tour de France started, where they said we are going to take a heavy hand on what they consider dangerous sprinting. And then also there's also this new rule that's in effect. This three uh, second rule that, that kind of expands what the gap is in a bunch sprint on a flat stage like today. And so it seemed to me there's some other motives there. What it seemed to me like that uh, it wasn't just exactly that incident but they wanted to make a larger point and I think that might have kind of tilted their 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 ability to see what really happened in this instance well and one of the other things that we just heard from one of our colleagues at NBC was that the Dimension Data team Cavendish's team was really pushing for this disqualification uh, apparently this is again we're, we're, this is a bit of hearsay we're hearing it from someone who granted saw it directly uh, an employee with the NBC television network who said that uh, he watched, you know, rider after rider and director after director go into the jury room and essentially provide their their opinion on this. And so Dimension Data was certainly pushing for disqualification. We saw Roger Hammond on Twitter pushing for disqualification. We saw Rolf Aldag, if if that was indeed yeah, his we, actual we Twitter account. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> He's actually, not, this was his first and only Twitter uh, only tweet ever. Tweet yeah. ever. So we think but, this... We it's think it's him because if you look at his follow, who he's following, they're all his buddies. Uh, and Bernie and Isla follows him and things like that. Yeah. So anyway, Dimension Data was really pushing for this. Uh, again, I think that if I had to make a guess, I think that the real problem here was that things happened a little bit too fast. I think it was a bit of a, of a rush to judgment. You know, there's no way that the Dimension Data team and directors 
really took a look at this video and dug into this video before they went in and started lobbying the jury. And I'm not entirely sure that the jury spent enough time really looking at this video. I mean, well, the- when you saw like uh, even Andre Greipel, who initially came out real hard saying, I'm no longer a friend of uh, Peter Sagan. Later, he came out on Twitter and said, hey, after re- after looking at the videos, I've changed my mind. Friends again. <laughs> Friends again. <laughs> Friends again. Yeah, I, you know, it's one of those things, that even even us in the press room, where there's a lot of debate going around the press room right after it happened. You know, was this illegal? Was this wrong? The initial reaction, particularly when you only saw that video from the top. And again, the, the problem with this video is that you don't see the two riders come together because there's a tree in the way. You only see them come apart. So you see Cavendish fall to the right, and you see essentially Sagan's elbow follow him. What you don't see is the fact that they just smash together while they're underneath the tree. If you only see that video, yeah, it looks like it looks for all the world like Sagan just stuck his elbow in Cavendish's face and stuck him in the stuck him in the barrier and caused a massive crash. Until you look at these other videos, and actually it was the third one to come out. It wasn't even just the finish line video, it was another tighter shot that came out a little bit afterward. That's the one that finally shed a little bit of light on what a, what might have actually happened. Yeah, because you could see actually that it appeared from the video that Cavendish struck Sagan. And, and uh, you made an argument even you'd say that it was actually Cavendish who should be kicked out of the race because perhaps you can make the argument that he was going in a place where he had no space in going. He was the one taking the risk. He was the one being out of control. And he caused the crash that took out uh, Duggan Kolb and uh, Swift. Yeah, I mean, I think you could certainly make that argument. You could also make the argument that Sagan closed the door on him and, and made it so there was so little space, uh, which, again, technically is sort of against the rules. Uh, that's not generally something that is... That is uh, is well, the the jury does not tend to disqualify people for pretty minor changes in line in the final sprint. Anyway, and the uh, it's important to point out also that uh, according to the UCI rules, there are no appeals. These decisions stands. You know, we'll see. Maybe from on high, who knows? Maybe the. Uh, you know, but that would be a scandal too if like the UCI came pressured him from on high from Mr. Cookson or or from the ASO. Uh, it's it's just unfortunate for I think really for the sport. I mean, you got the most charismatic rider to come along in a generation. You know, he's going to be scarred by this and, and kind of his image tainted by this thing. And it's almost like injustice, really, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think it's really unfortunate. Uh, you know, there is, there are no appeals. So Bora and Peter Sagan cannot file a formal appeal. However, the dur- the jury can just change its mind. It's already done that once. It went from a relegation to a disqualification once already. Uh, this is essentially an all-powerful body at this point, and they can certainly wake up tomorrow morning and and realize that they have made a grave error and changed their minds. Not that we are necessarily expecting them to do so. Uh, I would I would put the chances of that happening actually quite low. But anyway, we are. This is supposed to be a short little uh, special edition podcast. We will have a full Velenews podcast for you guys on Friday, unless something else completely crazy happens tomorrow. Well, it's the Tour de France. Something's going to cra- crazy is going to happen tomorrow, that's for sure. <laughs> that is absolutely for sure. We got Planche de Velfi on stage five. This is the first big GC day, and we will be at the top of the mountain if we can get in a car that takes us there, which is, uh, well, not actually assured yet. We'll work on that. Tune in on Friday for the next episode of the Melanie's Podcast. Uh, for Andrew Hood, I am Kaylee Fretz. Thanks for listening.